Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports and from business to history. And everything in between, including your stories, send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. And we especially love bringing you stories about family businesses. And today we bring you one with a long history that begins with a fruit cart in 1859. Here is Alex Castle, the master distiller at Old Dominic Distillery, to tell us the history of this Memphis family business. 
So one of the best things to me about working for Earl Dominic and DeCanale and Company is the history of it. That history dates back to 1866, and it is very tangible history. That whole family held on to so many documents and ledger books and letters. I don't know what they were thinking when they held on to it all, but I know we're, we're very happy that it's there now. The family history isn't just some story that's been passed down by word of mouth. It is a history that is very, very real um, and that we can show to everyone just how authentic that story is. And to be able to be a part of such an authentic story um, and hopefully you know, be a part of its, its history eventually is just, it's very rewarding. So our founder, Domenico Canale, uh, was an Italian immigrant and he came over to the States in 1859, landed in New Orleans, and decided to take a riverboat up to Memphis. He already had family here, his uncle had a business already. He decided to work for his uncle. That building is literally about 100 yards from the uh, current distillery. Worked for him for a couple years and decided to start his own company in 1866, at which time he founded Deaconale and Company started off as a modest little fruit cart and he would just go up and down what is now Front Street selling fruit. Over the years that grew, became a much bigger distribution company, started distributing beer because he had refrigerated trucks and decided in the midst of all of that to found Old Dominic Whiskey. He did not distill his own product but he did buy aged product barrels from other states. So we have records of barrels from Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and he would bring them down on the railroads and uh, blend them here under the label of Old Dominic. It was actually one of the biggest whiskey brands in the southern region during that time. And of course, prohibition hit, and so Old Dominic whiskey had to stop being produced. Fortunately, the other parts of the company continued on, so the fruit distribution, the beer distribution, all of that continued on through Prohibition. And sadly, Dominico did not see the repeal of Prohibition. He actually died just a few days before it was repealed. DeCanale and Company continued on, just without the whiskey. Bring it up to, I guess it was the late 90s, they actually sold off the food distribution but still maintained the beer distribution that they had. And so they were the Anheuser-Busch distributor in Memphis. And then in 2010, I believe it was, they actually sold that off as well. And so they kind of had lost all of their Memphis foothold. They had other businesses, other investments, just nothing actually in Memphis. And so in 2013, when they found a bottle of Dominic Toddy, Basically, they found this bottle full, still wax sealed. And they decided to crack it open. I believe one of them actually tasted the liquid, <laughs> but had that liquid analyzed. They sent it to California to see if we could figure out what actually was in that product. Because with all of the documents that the family held on to, they never held on to the recipe for this product. Go figure. And so, with the help of a lab out in California, they learned the different components that were present in that bottle. 
Couldn't figure out the exact ratios or anything like that, so no specific recipe, but they were able to figure out what was in it. And then from there, we essentially reverse engineered it. And so today's president, Chris Canale Jr., wanted to see the company get back to Memphis, wanted more than just their headquarters to be here. He decided, this seems like a cool idea. Someone said, well, why don't you sell the brand? He said, no, this is how we get back to Memphis. And so he and his cousin, Alex Canale, decided to open up what is now Old Dominic Distillery. That construction project officially started in 2015. And that was the same year that they decided to bring on a head distiller. And I was lucky enough to get a message on LinkedIn. I had nothing better to do. I said, sure, I'll come down for an interview. And ended up deciding to move to Memphis um, that same year. And so about a year of construction and we were actually ready to produce the first whiskey not just out of Old Dominic, but the first whiskey produced in Memphis, ever. There were no distilleries here even before Prohibition. Um, so December of 2016 was kind of a, a big year for Old Dominic and for Memphis. And then flash forward a couple months, May of 2017, and we were actually finished with all of construction and open to the public um, for our first tours at the beginning of May. Um, and since then, we have added multiple products. We now have two vodkas. We have our Memphis toddy. We have a gin that's about to come out. And we also have our Hewling Station bourbon and even the Hewling Station line. We're about to release even more products under it. So it's been a very, very busy two, two and a half years. And again, you're listening to Alex Castle, and she's the head distiller at Old Dominic Distillery. What a thing to do and what a way to honor a family heritage. And what a way to honor a city. And when we come back, we'll hear more of this remarkable story from head distiller Alex Castle. The story of Old Dominic Distillery, a local story. Oxford, where we broadcast, is a mere hour's drive south from the great city of Memphis. The story continues here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we're back with the story of Old Dominic Distillery in Memphis, Tennessee, and its master distiller, Alex Kessel. Alex was the first female master distiller in the state of Tennessee at the first whiskey distillery in Memphis. Here's Alex to tell us her story. So I am originally from Kentucky. I grew up in a small town called Burlington. It's about 12 miles south of Cincinnati, Ohio. It was definitely a type A, so when I got to high school, fell in love with maths and sciences and knew I wanted to do something with them. And I was talking to my mom, trying to figure out, you know, what could I do with my life? Because at 15, you need to know what you're gonna do with the rest of your life. 
and uh, she had been reading some articles and came across chemical engineering. I was like, that sounds perfect, but I can't teach, so what do you do with that? And uh, my mom, who doesn't drink, said, you can make beer and be a brewmaster, or you can be a master distiller and make bourbon. So that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. Truthfully, I have no idea why it sounded interesting, because I was one of those people in high school who did not drink. And like I said, my mom didn't drink. We didn't have bourbon in the house. Up to that point, my only experience with bourbon was my parents taking me to Maker's Mark when I was about five or six years old, and I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I remember my dad sticking his finger in the fermenter and eating it, and I thought I was gonna throw up. It just was so gross to me. I didn't like the smell of that room. And then, I can't remember if it was at the start of the tour or the end of the tour, but they were handing out fudge. I'm a kid. I absolutely want some fudge. No one told me it was bourbon fudge. That does not taste like fudge. It was horrible. So that being my only experience with bourbon, I really have no idea why I ended up in this industry. But when I was 15 or 16, that just, it sounded so perfect. And being from Kentucky, you know, it was a part of my heritage, even if we weren't involved in it. And so I, that's, I went to the University of Kentucky to study chemical engineering and was fortunate enough to get a co-op while I was in school with a small company, not so small now, but a small company in Lexington called Alltech. And at the time they did animal nutrition supplements and had a brewery. And I thought, that's perfect, because I thought I wanted to do beer. Well, while I was there, they sneakily added two pot stills into the brewery and had no one to run them or clean them for that matter. And so my boss sent me and one other person from the engineering office to clean them because they had come all the way from Scotland. So they had a lot of dirt on them from the travel. And uh, shortly after that is when he asked me if I wanted to observe a distillation. So not just polish the stills, but you can actually help run them. And instead of observing, I actually got to run the distillation that day. My boss forgot that he had to take his kids to the dentist that day. And so I show up and he says that and I think, oh man, now I have to go to the office. This is going to be boring. And instead, in about five minutes, ran me through the entire process and said, if you have to, just shut it down. I'll be back later. And then left. And so I ran the stills that day. Did not have to shut them down, thankfully. And I guess because I managed to do that that first day, I was cheap labor, they didn't have to hire anyone else, so they just let me do it from that point on. So I filled over the first 100 barrels, I believe it was, of Pierce Lions Reserve. And from that day on, that was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to make whiskey. And so I set off on that path and have been fortunate enough to know people in the industry and get my foot in the door and have stayed in it ever since. So after college, I have, I did one year making laundry detergent because the industry, while it was growing, everyone was still so new, nobody was making money, which meant they couldn't hire anybody. Um, so no one was hiring at the time. But fortunately, one of the guys I used to work with at Alltech remembered that I wanted to be in the industry and so connected me with his friend who was a recruiter and was hiring for Wild Turkey. 
And so I managed to get on as a distillery production supervisor at Wild Turkey about a year after I graduated college and worked there for four years. Uh, started off as the number two supervisor. In about a month, that supervisor got shifted to a different department, so I very quickly became the number one supervisor. And so for four years, I was overseeing all of production at Wild Turkey, responsible for third shift and first shift, so the hours for that were spectacular. I woke up at 2 a.m. every day, so <laughs> definitely cut my teeth in a really good way up there. And then it was randomly the beginning of 2015 that I got that message on LinkedIn asking if I knew anyone who would be interested in a startup distillery in Memphis. And I took about two days to think about it and sent my resume in. And my first trip to Memphis was for the interview and I fell in love with the place. I fell in love with the city immediately. Uh, but also fell in love with the company. I, everyone I met during that weekend was absolutely fantastic. And then they actually brought me into the distillery, which at the time was a completely empty building. Um, the stairs were absolutely terrifying, but I went up them in heels. And, uh, but seeing the space and seeing how much work was to be done I could see the challenge that it was. And at the time, I didn't know I wanted that kind of challenge, but seeing it, having it put right in front of me, I realized that that's exactly what I needed. And so it just, the whole concept of really doing start to finish with this company and with this brand was so thrilling. Creating a new brand and product is incredibly stressful, but it was exhilarating. So just the distillery itself, because we do consider the physical space a product for us. You know, I actually got to sit in on interior design meetings. So I got to help pick tile for the bathrooms and light fixtures and I was amazed at how much I enjoyed that. And then with the products themselves, of course, had to develop the liquid, which was super fun. You know, my nerdy side came out, but I also got to have input on the bottles themselves, you know, the shapes, the labels, how they looked, everything. I got input on all of it. Um, whereas, you know, where I came from, I had no say in any of that. I would never have say in any of that. Um, and so to be able to put my stamp on every aspect of the product and the brand, it was incredibly rewarding. So yeah, I'm fortunate to have owners who really do um, trust their employees, put faith in their employees. If they hired you to do something, they're gonna do everything they can to, to make sure they let you do that job. Um, and like on a personal level, it's great. I actually do get along with them. You know, we're friends, we've gone on trips together. Um, and over the years, I think I've proven myself to them to where they've let me take more and more control. Um, and kind of oversee the day-to-day -day operations of the distillery. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Women engineers aren't really a thing or weren't a thing when I entered college, and female distillers weren't a thing at the time either. Um, so there were a lot of people who were saying that, you know, maybe, maybe go somewhere else, maybe do something else. And I ignored all of them and just pushed through, and now you see female distillers everywhere. You see women opening their own distilleries. 
It is fantastic. I mean, it's it, seeing women in the industry it goes right along with just how much the industry has grown and changed in recent years. Um, you know, it used to be super labor intensive and, you know, rolling around a 500 pound barrel, not the easiest thing. Most women probably don't really want to do that. Um, but so many things are now automated that that labor aspect really isn't there. Yes, the working conditions can be very interesting. You know, you're standing in 150 degree temperatures on a regular basis. Women can put up with that just as well as men can. But women actually have better tastes, better sense of taste and better sense of smell. So if anything, we're actually more qualified to be doing this. And so it's, I love going to conferences every year and there are more and more women each year. And it is, it's fantastic to not be the only one at the table anymore. So to see everyone embracing this change in the industry, it's, it's the best time to be a part of it. And great job by Robbie on that piece, finding it and producing the piece. And a special thanks to Alex Castle. That was her voice. The city of Memphis, Old Dominic Distillery. Their story, Alex Castle's story, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com 
slash OAS. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking. When we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show. One of our favorite subjects is the subject of sports. More than 350 sets of brothers have played in the major leagues since the 1870s, and we're talking about baseball. But few have had the skill, the charisma, or the success of the DiMaggio brothers, Jolton Joe, Dom, and Vince. Here to tell the story is the four-time New York Times bestseller author, Tom Clavin. He'll be sharing stories from his book, The DiMaggio's, Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball, and Their Pursuit of the American Dream. Here's Clavin. The DiMaggio's is about family. That's the reason why I wrote the book. It's dedicated to my own family. I'd actually turned down the opportunity to write The DiMaggio's twice. I was not interested. I thought that uh, Richard Ben Kramer had done the book on the DiMaggio's uh, because of his biography of Joe DiMaggio in A Hero's Life. I'm not a big fan of that book, but I figured it would be pretty thorough, and what else could I do? Now, the third time that my agent suggested that I do a book on the DiMaggio's, all three brothers, I agreed to look into it, mostly just so I could get him off my back and he could stop suggesting that. And uh, I started to do some research. I mean, like most people, I maybe didn't even know there were two other DiMaggio brothers, or I knew that there was Dominic in Boston. But I didn't know about Vince at all. And it is kind of remarkable that you had three brothers playing at the same time. Not unheard of. I mean, we know about the Alou brothers, for example, and we had other brothers who played at the same time. With the DiMaggio's, my first stop was, after doing some initial research, is I made an appointment with Dominic DiMaggio Jr. and went up to see him. He had taken over his father's factory manufacturing business uh, in the Boston area. And uh, I went up to see him and sp spent the day with him talking about his father. And I came away realizing that, and many writers would not want to say something like this, my agent was right. There was a terrific story here, and it went way beyond Joe DiMaggio, uh, which I was very glad for, because even though I was born and raised a Yankees fan, my father's favorite player was Joe DiMaggio. Again, a Joe DiMaggio biography didn't interest me. So I wrote a book that really is from the viewpoint of family. Uh, Giuseppe and Rosalie coming over from Italy, uh, barely could speak English, 
becoming a fisherman in the San Francisco area, raising nine children, uh, the last three of whom were Vincent DiMaggio, Joe DiMaggio, and the baby Dominic DiMaggio. And those are the three that became baseball players. They weren't carbon copies of each other. They all three loved baseball. It's interesting that the Giuseppe and Rosalie had had six children, and then they had uh, Vincent, and Vincent was passionate about baseball, and he was talented. And he, I mean, the father Giuseppe forbade his children to play baseball. And, uh, and so when Joe was a teenager, he couldn't play, or he would have to play in secret. When Dominic was very young, he couldn't play, or the mother would sometimes cover for them. But Vincent was very blatant about it. He wanted to play baseball. That's what he wanted to do with his life. And when Giuseppe kept being obstinate about it, what Vincent did is he ran away. Some kids run away and join the circus. Vincent ran away to join a baseball team. And he started playing in leagues up and down the uh, up and down California, up and down the West Coast, into Oregon and Washington. Uh, eventually made it to the Pacific Coast League, which was almost a major league caliber. Uh, one of the enjoyments for me of writing the book, The DiMaggio's, was that all three brothers uh, played first in the Pacific Coast League before going on to the major leagues. Anyway, Vincent went off to play baseball, and he was gone for about two years, and he came back to the family home in the San Francisco area. And uh, his father basically had his arms crossed and said, so you come back, you probably have no money, and you've been a big failure, and now you're ready to be a fisherman just like your father, just like your brothers, well, two of the brothers anyway. And instead, Vincent reached into his pocket and put something like uh, you know $6,000 cash on the table, he said, that's what I earned playing baseball. And Giuseppe took a look at that, and he went to Joe, and he said, what are you going to start playing baseball? Well, Joe was ready, willing, and able to jump right in. And he also started playing for local teams and for the Pacific Coast League. And he quickly outdistanced Vincent. Now, we should really give credit to Vincent here because he had the courage to follow his dream, and it was because of that the door got cracked open for Joe DiMaggio. If it had not been for Vincent, we would ne might never know Joe DiMaggio, a Hall of Fame player, winner of nine World Series titles. So Joe started to play in the Pacific Coast League, and it was in the Pacific Coast League that he had a 61-game hitting streak. I mean, we know about the, longer, the, the long hitting streak he had in Major League Baseball, but he had his longest one of his career was in the Pacific Coast League. Meanwhile, Vincent does get called up to the major leagues. Uh, I believe his first team he played for was the Pittsburgh Pirates. He eventually played for the Philadelphia Phillies. But it was with the Pirates that he had a couple of all-star seasons. He was a very good defensive outfielder, probably during his years in the National League, the best center fielder in the National League. And he was a pretty decent hitter, and he made the All-Star team in t a couple of years. Uh, Joe came up with the Yankees in 1936, was his rookie season. And he and DiMaggio were on great Yankee teams that won the pennant in 36, 37, 38, 39. You know, four straight pennants, four straight World Series, as it turned out, too. So Joe right away got used to winning, and he was an All-Star every year. And then what about Dominic DiMaggio, the youngest one? He was called, also nicknamed the Professor. He had these thick glasses. Nobody thought of him as a baseball player. He had to really go against a lot of stereotypes to eventually work his way through the Pacific Coast League. And then into Major League Baseball, where he was signed by the... The Yankees had a chance to sign him, and they passed. They didn't think he was you know, anything like his brother. And he was not Joe DiMaggio, but he was Dominic DiMaggio, and he was a darn good ball player. And 
I happen to think uh, should have been given more consideration for the Hall of Fame. But he was taken by the Boston Red Sox. And he had uh, uh, nine all-star seasons. He played 13 seasons, uh, played from about 1940 to 53, uh, 52, I think. And he made the all-star team nine, uh, seven times, excuse me. Uh, Joe had made the all-star team 13 times and Vincent twice. So he had the three brothers between the three of them made 22 all-star teams. That's a remarkable level of achievement for any family. And their careers took different paths. Now, in Vincent's case, uh, by the time World War II ended, he was done with baseball. Uh, He still played. He just kept playing in less accomplished and smaller leagues and eventually ended up back on the on the west coast and he had a troubled post-baseball career uh alcoholism uh couldn't was having a hard time holding a job so he's also kind of like a story of the american dream like the dimaggio family was that his his dream was to play baseball and he accomplished it it was outside of baseball that he had trouble you know dealing with life Joe, as we know, was a great leader of the Yankees. He did miss three seasons because of World War II. Uh, I discuss in the book some of the controversy about that because he had to be sort of dragged, kicking and screaming into the military service. But he's a guy who was about to make $100,000. Instead, he's making $240 a month being in the Army. Uh, When he got out of the service, when World War II ended, the Yankees again won the pennant in 47. Uh, 49, 50, 51, uh, Joe with diminishing skills. And then uh, he retired after the 51 season. Uh, By by this time, Mickey Mantle was on the Yankees and a a new era uh, began for the Yankees. Joe had a pretty uh, famous post-baseball career. He was always introduced as the greatest living ball player, much to the uh, detriment and sort of amusement of Ted Williams. When you look at their respective statistics, Ted Williams far outdistanced Joe DiMaggio. He just didn't have nine World Series titles. And you're listening to Tom Clavin, and he's sharing stories from his book, The DiMaggio's Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball, and Their Pursuit of the American Dream. When we come back, more of the story of the DiMaggio brothers here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. (laughs) 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we continue with the story of the DiMaggio brothers here on Our American Stories. Let's return to Tom Clavin. Joe and Dominic were very close brothers. They really loved each other. They were also very fierce competitors, and it didn't help that they were both considered the best set of fielders in the American League. In the case of uh, how they loved each other, I think one example is the 1941 season. It also shows that Ted Williams cared so much for Dominic and for Joe, too, even though they were very much rivals. But in the uh, in 1941 season, Joe was doing his 56-game hitting streak. And out in the outfield, uh, when they were at Fenway Park, you had Ted Williams in left and Dominic in center. And usually, in those days, games were played you know, in the daytime. And it was hard for finding out uh, you know, what was going on in the game that was being played at the exact same time. So Ted uh, basically bribed the scorekeeper who was behind the, the, the green wall in, in, in Fenway Park to uh, listen to the radio or some kind of way to get information from the New York game. And whenever Joe got a hit, he would yell it out to Ted, who in turn would yell it over to Dominic in center field. And Dominic paid attention very fiercely to every moment that, that he could get his hands on of the Joe DiMaggio hitting streak. I think one way that they were competitors is that uh, one illustration of this. In 1948, the Yankees, the Indians, and the Red Sox are all competing for the American League pennant. 
Yankee, the Red Sox had won it in 46, the Yankees had won it in 47, and now you had these upstart Indi Cleveland Indians. And as it happened, uh, Dominic had been dating a woman named Emily, and they had made plans to marry. And they uh, planned to get married in October 1948. And uh, Joe DiMaggio calls his mother, and his mother is expressing some concern that uh, what happens if the Red Sox win the pennant and Dominic won't be able to get married when he's supposed to. And Joe says, don't worry, Mom, I'll, take, I'll personally take care of it and make sure Dominic's available for his wedding. And sure enough, on the last weekend of the season, Joe demolishes uh, the, the Red Sox and the Cleveland Indians win the pennant. And um, Dominic is sent home in time to get married with, of course, Joe as his best man. I think another good example of their competitiveness is that in 1949, uh, Dominic had a hitting streak of his own going on. I mean, he, he ended up, of all, of all the people in all of baseball, Joe's own brother is the one coming the closest to his 56-game hitting streak. And it's up to 37 games, so Dominic only has another 19 games to go. He'll at least tie his brother. And uh, they're actually, the Yankees are playing the Red Sox of all places, of all teams. And uh, Dominic is, is 0 for 3, and he gets up again. It's going to be his last, unless there's an amazing comeback, it's going to be his last at-bat of the game. And he sends a screamer to the left center field gap. And in a brilliant play, who chases it down but Joe DiMaggio robbing his brother of a base hit and breaking his brother's 37-game hitting streak. They used to keep score, too. I, I should mention this. How many times one robbed a hit from the other? And by the end of their careers, Dominic actually, by an easy margin, had outscored his brother Joe and who, who, who stole a hit from the other one by their play in center field. So they loved each other very much, and they did. It was a lifelong thing. The biggest claim to fame for Joe after his career as a baseball player was marrying Marilyn Monroe. That marriage lasted only nine months. And um, there's, I think, uh, information in my book about the Joe-Marilyn relationship that you won't find other places. And a big reason for that is because I had access to members of the DiMaggio family. There are quite a few of them did not participate in the Richard Ben Kramer, Joe DiMaggio biography, I think because they got and I, a sense from him that I was gonna be rather critical. Uh, my book is not pro-DiMaggio, anti-DiMaggio, it's the story about the family. Even to the point where Dominic and Emily, his wife, they really liked Marilyn Monroe. They thought she was a wonderful girl. They thought she and Joe were wrong for each other, but they could see that they were in love and, and they were fully supportive of Joe getting married to Marilyn if that's what he wanted. Now we know that the marriage lasted only nine months, I think in 1954, and they broke up and went their separate ways. But apparently they still had a strong attraction to each other because what most people don't know, and uh, I learned this from Emily DiMaggio, who again is the only one of that generation still alive, she's in her 90s now, that, uh, that Marilyn and Joe used to have these secret rendezvous up at Dominic and Emily's place up in, in, uh, in the Boston area in Massachusetts. This was in the 1950s. And every so often, somebody would, somebody from the press would wonder, was that a DiMaggio sighting? And they would stake out the Dominic uh, Emily house in, in the Boston area. So sometimes they would have to, Dominic would get into, disguise this Joe, would get into Joe's car and drive it around a little while. Meanwhile, Emily would, and would get a cab for Joe and Marilyn to take them to the train station so they could head back to New York. Uh, that went on until Marilyn met Arthur Miller, and then it, the, all the hanky-panky with Joe ended, as far as we know. 
so Joe had uh, already a failed marriage, and as his life went on, he became more and more disenchanted with his fame, uh, it seemed with life in general. He had a very difficult relationship with his only child, Joe DiMaggio Jr. You can imagine what that was like for, for him, being Joe DiMaggio Jr. and always being compared to his father. He tried and did not become a baseball player. He did become a, join the Marine Corps. But he also drifted a lot. He was more like his brother Vince. Uh, couldn't quite uh, uh, get traction on the rest of his life. And when Joe died, it was in national headlines all over the place, of course, because he was an icon. You know, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? He was in songs. Uh, he was lionized in the press. He, he always got good press, even though in a lot of ways he couldn't stand the press. But what about Dominic? Now, in the case of Dominic DiMaggio, I believe it's fair for me to say that I did not start this book with the idea that he would become really more the central character or, or coming out of the book as my sort of hero. But what happened was, I think as I got to know Dominic from talking to his children, and thankfully his widow was still alive. Uh, she was 90-ish. But I was able to visit with her several times, have many conversations with her. She was the keeper of the DiMaggio family history. She was the only one of the nine DiMaggio children and their spouses. She was the only one of that generation still alive. She had married Dominic in 1948, so she was there while Dominic was still at the prime of his career. Dominic joined the Red Sox in 1940. He also missed three seasons uh, because he was in the, in the Navy. And um, after World War II, he came back and he was just getting into his prime, unlike his brothers Joe and Vincent, who were starting to get past their prime after the war. He was just getting into his prime as a ball player. I mean, the Red Sox had great teams in the mid to late 40s. Uh, you know, you had, you had Dominic DiMaggio, who was considered a better center fielder than his brother. Uh, he was not a power hitter like his brother. He was usually batting in the first or second spot, followed by people like Johnny Pesky and Bobby Doerr. Uh, Vern Stevens, um, Jimmy Fox. There were a lot of really good Red Sox players alongside Dominic. Dominic, right from the beginning after his marriage, emphasized family. That was what was most important to him. He loved baseball, but he always made sure that at the end, after every game, he got came home, came home to his family. He and his wife had three children. Um, uh, Dominic and Peter were the boys, uh, and Emily Jr. was the girl. And uh, when Dominic, when it was time for him, when the writing was on the wall and his career was winding down, he walked away. And he, be, he bought a manufacturing company and became an extremely successful businessman. And to me, that's an important part of the book, too, is the post-baseball career of Dominic DiMaggio. Because... He knew he was always going to be in the shadow of his brother as a ball player, but he was not in the shadow of his brother as a man or as a family man, as a husband or a father. Uh, he became quite wealthy. He and his wife were very, very involved in charities, philanthropic work in the Boston area. He remained a legendary figure in Boston. And he lived until he was, uh, I believe, 92 when Dominic died surrounded by family and it's no coincidence that the very last word of the book is family that's what the book to me was about the DiMaggio's it was you know the subtitle is three brothers their passion for baseball their pursuit of the American dream I think it sums it up the subtitle because it was the, the family's pursuit of the American dream it was the passion of those three brothers for baseball and it was their 
their love and sometimes disturbing relationship with each other. Joe being the superhero, Vincent being viewed as a lot of ways as a failure. But Dominic, not the Hall of Favor, though I think he should have gotten more consideration, but probably most successful as a human being than, than the brothers because he had this long, enduring marriage of well over 60 years with his wife, the three children, his son takes over the manufacturing company, uh, his daughter becomes a, a, a writer, an accomplished person, his, his Peter's other son becomes an accomplished person. And so I just found myself as I was writing the book more and more gravitating towards Dominic's story. And I think that if people want, even if not baseball fans, I think that they would enjoy the book because it's really a story about the American dream and it's a story about family. And great job as always to Greg Hengler for bringing us this story and a special thanks to Tom Clavin. By the way, get his book, The DiMaggio's Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball and Their Pursuit of the American Dream. The DiMaggio Brothers, their story here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.